Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the September 11, 2022 session, focusing on Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, Sheep and Sweep. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Daniel Glaze. So I am kind of, I'm known around the family as one who leaves a trail. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so you can tell where I've been. And I'm not, I'm not the best at picking up after myself. I have to make myself go collect all my things, which also means I lose things a lot. Two to the degree that I actually end up buying one of those little air tag things to put on my key ring so that when I get ready to leave for work, I can find my keys. <laughs> and I've, I've joked, only half joking, that I also need to get some of those for my shoes, my wallet, and my umbrella. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I will leave them. I mean, it's just crazy. So, so I, I'm wondering... If you've ever lost something, and if so, what was it and how did you look for it? I've actually never lost anything. This is amazing. Wow. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Absolutely not. No, I I could just tell you the most recent thing. This was just a couple days ago. Um, No, I'm like, David, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, It's a wonder I can find my clothes in the morning. It, no, I I was, so we were talking about this earlier um, before we started recording uh, my wife and I and my younger daughter, we we all dropped uh, my older daughter off at college um, to start her freshman year at Wake Forest uh, a week ago. And we got home and I could not find my tape measure. I, I knew we needed to take it so that we could measure things out, make sure things would fit, et cetera, see what we need to go by. And when I got home, I could not find it. And I you know, texted my daughter, honey, can you look in your dorm room? It's It's not here. I remember it being there, you know, I, honey, I, you know, try, trying to be gentle, but the, it, it's there. I just, you know, um, finally I thought, so my wife said, why don't you look outside in the toolbox one more time or, or in the car? Maybe she said in the car, you know, we had brought that home. It's not out there, but I'll go look anyway. And yeah, it was there. So anyway, um, so I have the, the talent, not only of losing things, but then of accusing others of having it when or misplacing I, it when I had it all along and it wasn't really lost. So I don't, I'm not answering your question, but that's me. I lost track of what we were talking about. Um, <laughs> recently, my daughter lost a set of expensive uh, Apple ear pods and she tore my car up until she found them. It pull everything out from the seats and do all that kind of, so that was a, a fresh loss. But normally when I lose things, what time is it today? Now, normally when I, when I lose something at a different point in the day, I find the best way to find them is to turn it over to a higher power and let them tell me where it's supposed to be. So I asked my wife and said, where, where is this? And where has it been placed? And she usually can tell me what to do and I can find it. <laughs> Well, it sounds like we all have similar afflictions. I am awful at losing things. Um, I, the best thing I can do is to be preemptive and they're like my keys. They have to go on the hook, Mm -hmm. like have to, and I will get up and move and go make sure they're on the hook if I see them and they're not there. But I will say that at my house, um, when I lose things, 
I tend to call my daughter because she's actually really great at finding things. <laughs> and so that's one of the methods I employ. But I will say the greatest invention um, that I have at my disposal is the Apple Watch and how I can play a sound yes. on my phone when I misplace my phone. Yes, um, I use that multiple times every day. Yep. Mm -hmm. So so those are some of the methods I employ to lose all the things um, that I have lost. Well, for, for us, uh, the most recent uh, memorable loss, I guess, or uh, search was we were getting ready to go to Disney World uh, for a trip this May. And it had turned out our daughter and her husband were going to be able to go with us. And you know, the last time we took our children to Disney was a long time ago. They were little. <laughs> and and so we were remembering all that. And our daughter said to us, do you still have the pins we bought when we were there? You know, you can do these little collector pins. They have princesses mm -hmm. and characters on them. And we we had photos of Megan when she was little that had them all over her hat. And, you know, so we thought, oh, that'd be so great to find them. So an entire Saturday, <laughs> we were pulling book boxes out of the attic, down from the garage, digging through everything to try to find them and we couldn't and we were like Megan we're so sorry I, we we can't imagine we would have thrown these away but we can't find them of course the next day she finds them at her house <laughs> <laughs> should have started there yeah we should have yeah. <laughs> but we were glad they were found we were relieved and it and even though the search was frustrating it was fun to go down memory lane you know and dig out some old stuff from the boxes and remember. But Well, we have uh, a couple of parables today that deal with lost and found. Daniel, would you help us get started? I'll be glad to. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this Jesus fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. When we read verse 2 of Luke 15, let's not immediately gloss over it. We're tempted to do so, of course, because the term sinner is a very nebulous and nonspecific one. But among the original hearers of Jesus' preaching, sinners fell into five general categories. One, Samaritans. Two, Gentiles. Three, people who had rather dirty jobs. Tax collectors, pig farmers. Four, people who did immoral things, liars and adulterers, for example. And five, people who didn't keep the law in the ways that the religious authorities thought they should. In helping to contextualize all this for us, Barbara Brown Taylor says, if I were putting together a sinner's table down at the Huddle House, it might include an abortion doctor, a child molester, an arms dealer, a garbage collector, a young man with AIDS, a Hispanic chicken plucker, a teenage crack addict, an unmarried woman on welfare with five children by three different fathers. Did I miss anyone, she says? Oh, and don't forget to put Jesus at the head of the table, asking the young man to hand him a roll, please, and offering the doctor a second cup of coffee before she heads back to work. If any of that offends you, Good. That's the point. A crowd of tax collectors and sinners had gathered around Jesus. 
a few Pharisees were there too. Jesus started teaching. Which one of you, he says, if you had a hundred sheep and one wanders off, will not leave all the others in the wilderness, vulnerable to wolves, theft, and all kinds of other dangers, and then go out and not come back until you found your one lost sheep? Then wouldn't you put the sheep on your shoulders just like you would a newly found child? And when you see your friends, will you not cry out, Hey, everyone, help me celebrate. I found my lost sheep. Now, wouldn't you do that? And if you were a woman who had lost a quarter, Jesus says, wouldn't you move every piece of furniture out into the front yard and sweep every inch of your house until you found that quarter? And then, just like that woman, won't you go up and down the street waving that quarter and yelling out to all your neighbors, it's party time, I found my quarter. Wouldn't you do that? I think our first reaction to Jesus's two scenarios is to say, sure, we'd all do that. We would keep looking for whatever it was that we had lost until we found it. But don't be so sure of yourself. We have three people besides me on this podcast that all work in higher education, so let me offer another scenario. This one offered by preacher and former Methodist Bishop Will Williman. And which teacher among you, if you have a student who's struggling in Chemistry 101, will not cancel all of your appointments and projects for the coming semester and go search out that student in the dormitory and spend every evening late into the night working with that student until on the day of the exam the student makes an A? And when that student makes an A, will you not run to all of your department colleagues and say, come party with me? The one who was a failure in chemistry has now made the best grade in the class. Well, when you put it that way, no one would do that. Come to think of it, no shepherd would leave 99 sheep to fend for themselves while he searches for just one. And no sane woman would throw an expensive party just because she found a quarter. So if these scenarios that Jesus lays out don't make any logical sense, then what is he getting at? What is Jesus trying to say here? Well, I may be wrong, but I don't think Jesus is trying to win an argument in logic. The way that the shepherd and the woman behave, no, it doesn't make any logical sense. So Jesus is not appealing to their logic. No, Jesus, I think, is trying to help us understand what God is like. God's love for those who are lost doesn't make logical sense. You and I, we wouldn't do what that woman does or what the shepherd does. For that matter, we would not welcome prostitutes, tax collectors, liars, and thieves for Thanksgiving dinner either. But God does. God's love may be illogical, unexpected, and irrational, but it's also persistent, immeasurable, incomprehensible, everlasting, and free. In the midst of war and inflation and pandemic and you name it, we may be tempted to feel lost and all alone. And if you feel that way, I get it. I'm not trying to 
disabuse you of those feelings or dismiss any emotions. But if you do feel lost and all alone, God the Good Shepherd has not forgotten about you. God has taken up his shepherd's crook and he's coming to find you and reclaim you and bring you home. God the housewife has not forgotten about you. She has taken up her broom and she will sweep and sweep and sweep and sweep until each and every last one of us is found. It doesn't make any sense, but no matter. God will never, never, never stop looking for us until we are back home again. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, I love what you did with this passage. I think so often when I read parables or really even the Gospels or most of Scripture, I am looking for instruction on what to do and how to be. But I love that you helped us see that this parable really just tells us a whole lot more about God and who God is and how God relates to us. That scripture teaches us that God will not leave us alone. Like the way you put another edge on it too. It's easy to look at it at the surface and say, okay, this is a parable about how God will search for people and the Pharisees aren't doing that and therefore they're somewhat condemned by the way they talk about Jesus and the people he sits with. But when you're talking about this, you really bring out the point that God is looking for people who don't necessarily value themselves, who view themselves as like beneath others, who have really given up in some ways. You know, so there's not a value proposition there really. It'd be kind of ridiculous like you say, to sweep out the whole house to get a quarter. But God's still looking for people like that. And it is so easy for people just to give up and feel like, well, I'm not really worth the effort anymore. And Mm -hmm. I think your argument flies right in the face of that particular self-deception that we are not worth it anymore. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's part of what I was trying to say that, I mean, first of all, I, I think the way Jesus tells this is, I mean, it's a it's a masterclass in helping people. It's almost like a good counselor or therapist. You don't just say, do this, think this, this is what you need to, you know, <laughs> you know, sort of the classic, well, what you really need to do is X, Y, Z, but, but helps folks to come to a realization on their own. So I was just, I was reading it out loud earlier today, and and it's sort of like Jesus saying, well, certainly, wouldn't you, you would, if you had a hundred sheep and one left, sure, you'd leave the other ones, wouldn't you? And I thought, no, <laughs> that does, you don't know me at all. No, I wouldn't do that. And so I think, I think it's, it's almost like Jesus says, you're, you're right, you wouldn't do that, but God does. And, and it's, it's sort of like, then the fog lifts, you say, Yes. I can't help but think about our conversation last week. We had a conversation last week around the text where Jesus tells us to hate our family and to sell all our, get rid of all our possessions. And at the end, I remember 
David Cassidy said that we really, that this scripture was helping us have a conversation on how we value things, what we put value on. And so now it is as if this comes right after those texts and Jesus is saying, you don't put the value here, but this is where the value is. The value is the one sheep that has been lost. It is what seems like an insignificant hoarder. It is these people that I sit at table with. That is where the value lies. It's almost like Jesus saying, there, there are people that you only consider worth a quarter. And you would not yeah. turn your house upside down to find them because they're not valuable to you, but they're valuable to me. It's at the same time, I think, a window into God's heart, but also a, a calling for us to regard others in that same way, that people are worth searching out, even if you have better things to do. And, and it's, it's also an expression of how God perceives need. Because uh, I think we see regularly in Scripture that where God sees someone who needs God, <laughs> someone who is reaching, maybe not reaching out, but who, again, needs, okay, like, okay, the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're poor in spirit. They need. Mm -hmm. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those are the ones, they're in grief. They need comforting. Mm -hmm. That's who gets the comfort. So the ones who are lost are the ones who need to be found. They get the attention to be found. It's, it's, it's really an interesting window into the way God pays attention to those who need God, which, you know, we all do but we may not all be aware of it or admit it. But when we do admit it, God is there to find us. So maybe a question for meditation is, what do you need? Mm. Mm. And maybe that is where we meet God. Mm. Point of need, point of brokenness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, contradict myself here, uh, or a lot of what I was saying in my Bible background, and what I've argued for here is that the the way God acts here as this shepherd and woman, are, it's, it's illogical. We wouldn't do that, but God does. But the experience pops into my mind of when I was shopping with the family at an old Navy store. Not that that's important, but I remember the day. I remember everything about it. And when I shop, I, I have two daughters and, and my wife. And when, when I shop, I'm the one who holds the stuff for the dressing room. You know, if there's something they like, hand it to me. And so I, I hold all the stuff. My youngest daughter, Ashley, who was maybe three at the time, wandered off. And we could not find her. Mm. Um, yep. She, mm. maybe y'all have been there. Yep. Um, she was probably, it, it was, it was one minute we could not find her. And then two minutes 
and I had a handful of things I was holding for the dressing room, and I dropped it right there in the aisle, and I ran to find her. And we did, and we just cried and held each other. So, so at, whereas earlier I might say, you know, we, we wouldn't do this. Maybe we would, maybe we do. Drop whatever we're, we're holding, whatever is valuable to us at that time, because someone is lost and needs to be found. Well, maybe there's a dichotomy in this passage, too, between being and doing. Because being a Pharisee, I mean, you got the really cool robes and the nice hat and all that stuff that makes you look good, you know, and you're out there <laughs> fronting for God, representing everything. <laughs> but that's not what's important. What's important wasn't standing there being something. It was doing something to help other people. Just standing there being a Pharisee wasn't enough. It wasn't meeting the needs of all these people who were gathered with Jesus. They were hungry. And they need to be fed. They need to be treated like human beings. And all the prestige in the world just doesn't add up to anything in the face of the human need. It was the doing that mattered. Now, whenever I have to wear a robe, I'm going to feel like I'm fronting for Jesus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all I'm doing is fronting. That's right. Well, I think to both points, I mean, Daniel, Jesus clearly values the one sheep as much as you valued your daughter. Mm -hmm. and was willing to run after her and find her. So it makes perfect sense in that case. It would still an expression of enormous value that even though it's just a quarter, it's to, to Jesus, it's that valuable. And, and so, uh, which I, th I still think fits. Uh, it, it also fits with what you were saying, David, where I'm about the Pharisees, you know, that we, we are quite capable as people of faith of posturing that we have the right beliefs, we have the right practices, we do the right things. But in the end, are we really paying attention to what is valuable to God? Which are those who are lost, who need, who need to be fed, who need to be loved, who need to be cared for, who need to be belonging and welcomed, and on and on. Yeah, and I, I, I'll brag on some of my people because... I like to brag on my people, but this passage really hits me because recently we were getting together to do church on a Sunday morning and it's, you know, the elaborate productions you do to bring a church service together and to bring the people together and organize the room and all of this. And right before it started, I had one of my deacons just come to me outside of the building and say, you know, I saw this couple up the street a couple miles pushing a shopping cart, who clearly street people, they're clearly in distress. I'm going to just skip today and go up and see what's going on with them. As I told him, I, that's like the best thing you could do. This is way more important than sitting in here with the rest of us. I was just so proud of that. And I, and I came away from this thinking that if I have deacons that do that and put their value there, I'm a really happy camper. You know, that's what I really would want to see from a spiritual leader of a congregation. That's what we all should aspire to to try to be like. No one knew he was doing that except for me. He came, told me that and called me back later to tell me what was going on. But just to understand that that's what's more important than all the minutia of just trying to be about being a religious person and carrying out your faith duties for the day or whatever, that really means something. I think Jesus is really getting at that here in a really unique way. One of the elements of these two parables that I think is so fascinating is the, um, the need to celebrate. Because uh, it's not just enough that 
you know, the shepherd goes after the sheep or that the woman sweeps and sweeps to find the lost coin. It's that there's a party afterwards, right? There is a celebration afterwards. And, and that feels like a very intentional repetition there. That God's those a party when, when we're brought together with God, when we're reunited, when we fit again together. I want to close today by remembering one who has given so much. Um, this, this past week, Frederick Buechner passed away. Mm. Um, one of the greats, um, a theologian, a poet, uh, a minister. And, you know, I've quoted uh, Buechner so many times. <laughs> As we all have. I know. Uh, and, and such a gift that he has given to us. I do hope that there is a grand party going on as Beekner and God are united to celebrate this, this saint, really, who has found his way home. And I'm reminded of, yes, a quote from Frederick Beekner that perhaps is a great reminder of the joy of being found and of finding. He says, and he's talking about life, the joy of life. He says, what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was sat next to life would scarcely fill a cup. Our cups are certainly overflowing with the gift of Frederick Buechner and so many others who help us find God and try to be more like the people God wants us to be. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.